Hello, hello. Hello. I'm Jessica Benoist Young. And I'm Melanie Reef. And this is Best Line. Worst Line. Where we watch movies, TV. Oh, God, I don't even remember the other ones because we don't do musicals, speeches, speeches, skits. We don't do them. We watch movies. And, and I TV. even was like, I even was like planning the the rest of the season, like we were talking about the other day. And there was a spot on the calendar where I was like, this episode should be all of the shit that we say we're gonna oh, do. That would be so fun. And we never do it. And then I took it off. <laughs> so, I, so, but we may have to put it back we in. We can add actually it back on because that would be funny. That would be really funny. We're just maybe, just like a grab bag episode, and we'd just be like, "Oh uh, yeah, this speech, sure, this and that skit." I know we always talk about doing like like mango skits. Yeah, I was just gonna or, say mango. Yeah, or like <laughs> some Stefan or really, something like that. Really, it's just stuff that we'd be quoting back to each other yeah. and just be yeah, absolutely annoying basically. about. But it's fine. Um, anyway, we that discussed- would actually be a of material now that I think about it if we did every Stefan every Stefan ever that would be have you ever seen the playlist it's like an hour and 50 minutes of Stefan if you just watch maybe that's our Patreon like that's that's how we start our Patreon is (laughs) Stefan we watched all the Stefan yes (laughs) and we picked the best incredible I'm I'm here for that Anyway, what we're here for right now is to discuss the best uh, and worst not line. Not as much fun as Stefan, I'll just no. say that right now. We're in our Nora Ephron <laughs> tournament right now, and we are on week three. Um, we started, I think we started really strong. I mean, half oh, strong. Yeah. Oh, we started yeah. strong with When Harry Met Sally and Heartburn, and then we had a lot to I say about Heartburn. I The dialogue was good. I will say the, di- the dialogue was good, and the acting was as good. We, as we've gotten farther into this, I'm actually seeing more merit in heartburn <laughs> me too <laughs> like I, and it was one of those things that like you know it wasn't necessarily something that like jived with me like really did it for me but like it was a well made film there were so there was so much good in it right i just didn't it care about the characters like, flat right, yeah there just for, wasn't like, like a plot or a story that i cared about mm-hmm. or like but, like as we talked about, when Harry Metzali is not really a plot either, but I care about right. the characters, and it's just so freaking good. And then, so week two, then we did, um, oh, Mixed Nuts, which we... We didn't do. We didn't really. do. We, we, we talked about it, but we didn't really do it nice. in our normal way. And um, I, My Blue Heaven, which I did My Blue really Heaven, love. actually, you know, if the, if the, if I have to pick, like, so far, well, it has to be, because I know what's coming in mm-hmm. in the big showdown i know what's coming <laughs> so there's there's no surprises in there for me no. so if i have to pick like a highlight like the thing that made this whole thing worth it even though we slogged well i three for me and three. two for you through some less than less than uh enjoyable films like finally discovering my blue heaven made Love this it. whole thing worth it it was great a plus movie for me. I will be making like I will be making a yearly ritual out of it. I'm just gonna like pick a day, that's or like some holiday or something, and be like, okay, we're watching this movie, and just make everyone watch it. It's so worth it. It should be opening day of baseball season. There you go. You know, a thing that I clearly celebrate. You can start. <laughs> no time like the present. Um, and so this week we went with two Lisa Kudrow 
films that Nora mm-hmm. Ephron was involved in. We did um, Lucky Numbers with Lisa Kudrow and John Travolta and Hanging Up with uh, Lisa Kudrow, Meg Ryan, returning champion, who we will maybe see again, and um, <laughs> Diane Keaton. I will say about these two films, I enjoyed Hanging Up. I, think I did too. I really I, did. So I, I won't say I slogged through Hanging Up. I enjoyed it. I think it was... I have issues with the storytelling and pacing of the movie, but right. I thought it was well acted. Yeah. Very emotional. Like I called yes. my parents immediately afterwards and be like, I love uh-huh. you. Yeah. I was texting my mom the whole time. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. there, it, it has, it has good bones to it. And I mean, it rests on Meg Ryan's shoulders. And if anybody uh-huh. can deliver uh-huh. and, really sell Nora Ephron dialogue, it's Meg Ryan, which she uh-huh. does brilliantly. Um, the other movie that we did, Lucky Numbers, <laughs> I did not enjoy. It was so quintessential 2000. Yeah, and it confused me, right? Because I knew what I was watching. I knew it, like, and what it should be. And you sent me this article and maybe we can read, we'll link to it we'll link and then to maybe it. we can read a little bit of it or just some kind of summarize it. But like, that's exactly what I was feeling. And then you yeah. sent me the article and I was like, oh my God, because there is no reason, like this is the type of genre that I really, really enjoy. Yeah, same. And I just kept waiting for it to like find its Fargo footing, find its ar- yes. ice harvest footing, like find its Dark, Coen Brothers-y. Coen yes. Brothers crime comedy of errors footing. And it would be like, it would get it and then it would fall. And then it would get it a little bit and then it would fall. And then so reading this article basically saying that it, it went through these various changes from essentially that in its script form to this sort of watered down, goofier version of it with... I don't know. It was yeah. just very strange. So, I couldn't figure out why it didn't work. Right. So it, better. the script was originally written by Adam Resnick, who I think mm-hmm. is probably most well known for um, probably Death to Smoochie. Death to Smoochie. Yeah. And I think Death to Smoochie is a great movie. I would love to do that movie on this show. That Put is it on a the list. movie. So he's most known for Death to Smoochie, and he had this script for Lucky Numbers. And in this article, it was like an interview that he did, and he said basically, like it was recently, a lot. more yeah, recently, too. more recently, it was definitely like a retrospective look at it. Mm-hmm. Like, so he wrote this script as a darker comedy, like. Mm-hmm. This guy, so John Travolta's character, which was not originally supposed to be John Travolta. I guess he wasn't, I guess he thought John Travolta was fine because John Travolta had done like Pulp Fiction and all that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. John Travolta's character is this like. And get shorty. We- Yes. And um, this weatherman in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, who is like the local celebrity, um, I did laugh heartily at he had a booth, his own oh, parking yes. spot all at of the. His- Little celebrity perks. Yeah, in my own parking spot at the Harrisburg's trendiest bistro, and then you see the pan, and it's Denny's. Denny's. And he has his own like roped off booth there too. Like mm-hmm. very funny. He has an omelet named after him. I know, just hysterical. <laughs> and so he is a weatherman, local celebrity, but he has dreams of being a a game show host. Game show host, yeah. 
but he keeps finding himself in debt because he has one get rich quick idea after another. And he's, and it's not like schemes. He's like honest about it. He says at some point in the movie, he's like, I am the president of the rotary club. Um, something with the sunshine, vice president of the sunshine day club. And I'm a big brother. This, um, Mm -hmm. so he like is very straight and narrow and, Currently, he is trying to sell snowmobiles, and the problem, uh, he very well knows, being the weatherman, is Pennsylvania is having a heat wave in the middle of December, so he has all this inventory he can't move, and now he's in debt. And that's basically the setup of the movie. The other characters you have, you have Lisa Kudrow, who is the lottery girl. And then you have Gig, who is kind of the who gets them all into this. And that was where it starts to get a little... We couldn't, well, like you're saying, like you said, like John Travolta is this, like, he comes across or he thinks he's this, like, upstanding citizen and that he's this right. straight and narrow guy. But then very early on, we see that his hangout of choice is a strip club. Right. And he, one of his, he like, probably his buddies, best friend. Best, yeah. I mean, I guess the guy that we see he has the most relationship with is. A crime crime boss. Yeah. I mean, he's this British, it's... Um, Tim Roth. That's right, Tim Roth. And, yeah, this British just just into everything. He's yeah, got he his fingers the- in everything. And he's the one who kind of gives them this idea to... Well, first he says... First he tries to get John Travolta to cash in to on his... Yes. To rob himself. And to cash in on his insurance policies. Well, uh-huh. John Travolta has this young, um, so they have this whole plan. They hired somebody. He has this young, um, young employee at the snowmobile place who has the keys to it and having, having a little, uh, dalliance, if you will, <laughs> the same night, um, as like he set up a bed basically in the snowmobile place with his girlfriend, the same night that it's set to get robbed. Well, they call the police and the robbery goes awry. And so that's problem one. And now John Travolta owes the guy who's going to rob them, who now got arrested, Dale the Thug. Dale the Thug. Which I did. There was a line that Gig says about Dale the Thug's nickname, which is like, Dale the Thug, that's his nickname? When did that happen? That's childhood issues and you don't want to deal with it. Like, (laughs) it was funny. And so then that goes awry. And so... Gig suggests that they rig the state lotto because we know the lotto girl, um, Lisa mm-hmm. Kudrow, who also happens to be sleeping with Ross Both John Travolta and, yeah, and Dick, their who's boss. the station head, um, played yes. by Ed O'Neill. And so it's that's the setup of the movie. They're going to rig the lotto. And then from there, it's just a comedy of errors. And comedy is a term I'm going to use like loosely here. There were so many things that worked for me and it, and and just enough that didn't. Yeah. And to, it was the- to make it feel like and I guess that's it. There was just enough that just didn't hit home that then it overall made the whole thing feel like eh. you know, but there was good stuff in there. There were bones of really the things. Good stuff. So the reason we're talking about an Adam Resnick written movie in a Nora Ephron bracket is because Nora Ephron directed it. And this is where we can get into that article again, too. Yes. And I took and so so the article was basically saying that like Adam Resnick didn't really feel like Nora Ephron was the right director for this film Which because she, she wasn't. Because she hadn't done dark comedy but i i want to try something new she is but she has a very dark 
and twisty. Yeah, a lot but- of what she's written does kind of go there, and so so I, I'm not saying like oh she should have been fine, or that it isn't part of the problem because there are definitely problems that stem from the direction of this yes. movie for sure um a majority of them i would say a lot but of the problems like, stem from the direction but of the movie. i would just say i don't get that like i think this could have been a, an opportunity for her to knock it out of the park and she so just didn't here's where i disagree with that i think she has done like you're right there are things within especially like heartburn um, hanging up, she doesn't shy away. My Blue Heaven, she doesn't uh-huh. shy away from topics. I mean, My Blue Heaven's not a dark comedy at all, but it has mob stuff in it. Uh-huh. Mixed Nuts is definitely on the like twistier yeah. side of things. Yeah. But as we said, I didn't like it. So, you know, I think where to me this is not in her wheelhouse, which that's not to say people should try things that are, you know, yeah, absolutely, whatever. But uh-huh. she does slice of life so well. Like, yeah, it's all the mundanity of, you know, just like it's that's what heartburn is. That's what. Yeah. When Harry Met Sally is, that's what Sleepless in Seattle. You've got mail. There is like there are plot. Well, Sleepless in Seattle and you've got mail. There's more of a plot, too. But this is so heisty and so plot driven that it right. is not. It's like the, the character. She's so good at character development and really uh-huh. getting into uh-huh. the, like, who are these humans? And that's where the disconnect was for me. Because I don't freaking care about any of these characters. And no, even in Heartburn, I where I said I didn't care. Caught. Right. When Even in Heartburn, where I said I didn't really like the characters, I was still intrigued by them. In this, yeah. I was just I'm like, not, they're caricatures. Yeah. Like, they weren't... That's the thing, is there was no real reality to them. They were all caricatures. Right. And Nora Ephron just real... Like, that's what she does so well. And this was not that. I honestly hated the Lisa Kudrow character. Oh, my she God. a terrible person. A terrible well, person. She lets, okay, so they hire... They convince her cousin, who's played by Michael Moore... Michael Moore. asthmatic. took me a couple takes, and I was like... Oh, I typed it immediately. Moore? I was like, that's yeah. Michael Moore. Um, <laughs> when he right. walked in, I was like... That looked like Michael Moore, but I didn't know Michael Moore was doing, like, was acting at this time. Me neither. So they get him to help them. Like, they're going to have him cash in the winning ticket so they don't get caught. And they're only going to give him 20 grand. And it's like a six point something million dollar lotto. Um, and so he starts to get wise to that and be like, wait, I'm the one doing the, taking the risk here. Like, I want more money. And she kills him. She lets him. Yeah. There's mold in the motel room. Well, there's a mold in the motel room. She strangles him. She does, but he's already having the attack, and she's sitting on top of him, and she's kind of smacking him around, and then he's like, get my inhaler, get my inhaler, and she gets it, and then she just sits on the bed while Happy Days is playing and lets him die. so dark and twisty and all of that. That, And then all of that was, was so, like, that whole thing, I mean, that's what I expect to see, but then, like, I expect that character to suffer consequences, Which like she, more than she did. I mean, she kind of does. She ends up working a, at she ends up working at the strip club, but like that, that's not true. even like. But I don't even think that's no, a consequence like, for that character. No, like that character, no, she was kind no. of an exhibitionist anyway. Which like, and she's with Gig, right? Yeah. So he's he has money. She's fine. Right. Like, in my opinion, she's fine. She let her cousin die in front of her. And she then goes on. And there is a good chunk of the movie that happens, like, 
a little bit after that where you think she is the one who's going to win and get this money. And there, I so, would have been more happy with that ending. Oh, no. I didn't want either of them to get... I honestly... No. I, I, I think she should have gone... I think they all should have gone to prison. Right. Well, and then the <laughs> cops were so hapless, too, which happens amazingly. Like, oh, I mean, that's... I know. But that, that's, that's a trick, which I'm fine with, like... Well, and it, it, it was a little... It was... It was done a little bit differently than I think I'm used to even seeing. And I think that that was honestly 100% just Bill Pullman's acting choices. Like, he just played that character in such an oddball way that I was like, who is this freaking guy? Which I also love Bill Pullman. So weird. And he just did such a good job of being so weird that I did really enjoy that. I thought it was really crazy that we were like adding in. A detective, so late like into the adding movie. in that character so That's, late, but it that was the other thing is there were like, so many things that were so late, yeah. like things yeah. broke just so late. Like, yeah, the bookie character, like we have one introduction of him and then he's dead, which yeah. is like fine, but also like I feel like that, like I don't care that he's dead. Like I'm like, oh, you're gonna end up dead because you're right, here, right? Like, immediately, and then Dale dies. No, yeah, he, gets, he does. Yeah, he does. But the later. detective, yeah, later. Like that's the thing is, I lost train of like what was happening because it was like I don't even know what's yeah. happening. Yeah, and I wish that I had. I thought I was like, okay. So after I watched this, I'm like, I'm gonna go back and watch like Ice Harvest, which mm-hmm. I haven't seen in a while, but is sort of this like small town, dark, really, really dry like crime comedy with um billy bob thornton and john cusack that came out probably a year or two after this movie or maybe right around the same time and not that i think it's like an incredible film and actually i don't even know if i think that it's funnier than this like i think that lucky numbers probably has more like just a couple wit- like wittier lines, maybe some more memorable lines, and definitely better physical comedy. But like Ice Harvest plays as just a much more, it's just a well-plotted film and you know what's going on, but it's not shoved in your face. And that's the weird thing about this is I feel like they were just shoving everything in my face and it yeah. still didn't matter. It no. still didn't matter. It didn't help the pacing. And I want to say that maybe, I, I want to say oh, we didn't need this. Oh, we could have come in here. This part could have gone faster. But I don't even know, like, would that have helped? And like you said, she's this slice of life. Yeah. We're talking about, like, the span of a week here, and it really just needed to move. But there are parts of it that just move, and it doesn't help. Right. I think the other thing, too, in that article that we were talking about, um, the Vulture article, he talks about how, like, the Paramount wanted to make it lighter, so they, like, tamped down the script a lot. Like, they really changed yeah. the script. Like, it that was, yeah. like, not even close to what he had written. Or, I mean, like, it was, right. but... Well, and like he was saying, there were that he had like much grittier elements in there that they took out, and and then he says something like that she made Harrisburg look pretty, yeah, and it's like yeah, that's a big thing, like making this 
movie into a that looks like another Nora Ephron movie or that looks like you know a normal comedy giving it like the glitz and the sunniness that you would expect from a typical comedy really yanks you out of like you wouldn't think that it would be so noticeable yeah. but it makes it hard to to really buy into the the dark comedy when it's not visually a dark film no it's not and like and, and so yeah it's like there is a reason why we do that in a lot and i'm not even talking about like the actual sun because like one of my all time and i've talked to you about this one of my all time favorite series is the get shorty series right. which all happens in southern california and mexico right. and it's bright sun all the time but it looks like a you know it has right. very typical dark comedy sets where you just feel like okay this place is grungy something corrupt is happening here yes. and i can tell before anybody utters a word because of how this cantina looks or how this producer's office looks like things are not gonna go in a straight line like you know there's right. a mess going on somewhere and that there was just none of that in this it's all looks like a very very typical comedy set yeah the i was just looking at the article because i wanted to find some of it he like he based it off of something that happened in his hometown mm -hmm. in harrisburg so he Real, like, yeah and they brought in a like they brought in a, another writer to do some rewrites after they started shooting. So it's like, uh -huh. it became very much not the dark comedy that Resnick originally right. envisioned. And so that makes it like really like it just, you can see that the original impetus of the movie and what actually was made was not the, what not was not right. what he envisioned. The other thing he says is he thinks he thought Lisa Kudrow is fine casting, but there's no chemistry between Lisa Kudrow and John no. Travolta at no. all. Like it was just like, why are these people like when when the first scene where we where we find that they're sleeping together, it's like why? Like it just I don't even think they needed to be sleeping together no. for it to work. I know. In fact, I think it it would have been better if they did it. Again. Yeah, like, yeah. If they if they. Because then they don't even seem to like each other. They don't even seem no. to get along other than just – and he doesn't like her. He thinks she's a bitch and she Which is a bitch. She is. She's an idiot and she is an idiot. Like, so it's well, like – so is he. He's, a, he's an idiot. He is. And so, yeah. So they don't even really actually have anything in common. They don't actually no. like each other. They were just sleeping together. And I don't even think that was necessary. No. I think – I don't even think it was necessary for her to be just... having an affair with Ed O'Neill's character no. either. I mean, I see where that that one worked a little bit more because, like, he's kind of yeah. screwing her over. And, I mean, but not yeah. because he's married. But, like, it's – I don't know. It's just, like, the whole thing, it didn't work they for me. They needed to give her – for them to do, like, their big, like, triple switcheroo that they did at the end with the ticket, I think they needed to have her have <laughs> something that, over him. Yeah, I guess that does like, make have sense some for – connection that, to him. You're right. That does make sense with the with the Ed O'Neill character. 
and they just and they just decided to make her like a sex pot and make yeah. sex her her thing like she even says something like very early on right after we figure out that her and the John Travolta character are sleeping together and he's saying you know I've been calling this agent about getting some game show auditions for months and I, we had a meeting like months ago mm-hmm. and then he never called me back and he's like what what do I do what should I do and she was like I can't relate I've never had a guy not call me back yeah <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny and then I also did like the next day he gets a call back from the agent's office and, and they're the like died he eight died months eight months ago and I'm sure um, if he was alive he would I'm call sure you back. were he not dead he would have returned your calls <laughs> okay so let's get it let's get into it did you have a best line I don't know. That's, I, was, <laughs> I know. I was like honestly looking through the I lines. Do have I have a best line. Okay, what's your I last do. line? Um, let me find it. I did love. There's an omelet named after me. For God's sake, I loved that. Mm-hmm. I loved. I, that I hated down. the entire. This was so unnecessary, so unfunny. The Michael Moore character has this fascination with Idiot. masturbating. Oh my God! I wrote that. I wrote that down. None of it plays. No, that None was my worst. Plays. Okay, let's do one. Okay. But let me tell you, I did love, <laughs> he asks John Travolta, John Travolta just, this, okay, so one thing that this character, there were so many things about this character that did not work for me, but one thing that I did that really worked for me with this character is that he did always have, like, a very dry brush off for when yeah. he did not want to talk to someone, he didn't want to deal with them, whatever, like, he had it was polite, but it was scathing. Like mm-hmm. somewhere in it, like they were just, it was a very good balance. I loved his little one-liner brush off. So Michael Moore is like trying to, the cousin is like trying to ask him if he masturbates. And he says, oh, I've been so busy lately. I barely have time to polish, polish my, my shoes. shoes. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> that was so funny. It was, it was a stretch, I would say. It was like a, a very big stretch for me to find a best line in this because Often what I look for as a best in a best line is either something that was so freaking funny I can't get over it. I didn't find that here. Um, or something that like encapsulates the movie or the character as well. Um, and so I think my best line, and I thought this was actually funny, and it kind of explains where John Travolta is vis-a-vis some of the other characters in this movie. He says, uh, Gig, I just came off a botched phony robbery. Let me bask in that for a while before I start tampering with the fucking state lottery. Which, like, I think, I think was a good line yeah. because that, like, he is so hapless when it comes to, like, yeah. he is not a criminal. I mean, he becomes one, but he is not, doesn't want to be a criminal. He wants to be a game show host. He, like, yeah. this agent that he is desperately trying to get, he is, like, was Gene Rayburn's um, agent only at the height of match game. And you see, <laughs> you see John Travolta's character, like, watch clips of uh, Bob Eubanks yeah. and... Every night. Like, and like pretend to be like, and here's Russ Richards, like introducing himself as a game show host. Mm -hmm. And so like, he has like, that's what he's all about. And that's his goal. And so Mm -hmm. now he's like diverted into this other thing. And the first one goes so awry. And this British friend of his is still trying to get him to do, do crime. And like earlier in the movie too, when he's asking for money from gig, like at the very first time before they set up the fake robbery, Gig was like, "You don't do coke. You you don't you barely drink. You barely drink. You're not a pussy hound." Which where, where the fuck did that money go? And it went onto the snowmobiles, yeah. which is like hysterical. Snowmobiles dealership, yeah. 
like that. So I think the his line of like, I just did a botched phony robbery. Like, let me let me sit for a bit before. Let me. And I think my best line, if I had to pick one, and it's a little bland, but it's in that whole conversation, this whole setup conversation of how we're going to get to the lotto is he's telling him how to do it. And he's like, you just make the ones that you want to pick the only ones that are light. And then you make the rest of them heavy. Mm -hmm. And he says, this is not war and peace. It's just the concept of gravity. (laughs) (laughs) One of the reasons that I really liked that is because then probably my favorite visual thing in this whole movie is at the end when he doesn't know how to drive the semi of snowmobiles in the snow and they pull literally out of the snowmobile so the assistant has an uncle like a friend of an uncle or something yeah a friend of his dad's or an uncle or some something in leadville colorado he says there's a roadside fun park in leadville colorado i've been to leadville colorado i don't think there is i don't think there's any fun parks in it (laughs) um no so there's not but you know well obviously they had to come up with some place that's going to be snowy in the winter and that works so he's like you know he'll buy your whole lot for 30,000 or whatever and he's like no 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 I, I he doesn't want to in the beginning but he's starting to get desperate and so him and the the sales guy assistant dude load this semi up with all these snowmobiles to go take them to Colorado. And then he's going to take this hundred thousand that he sold the ticket to the producer at the station at O'Neill character sold him the $6.4 million lotto ticket for a hundred thousand dollars. So he's going to take the hundred thousand dollars, the 30,000 from the snowmobiles and just go off the grid, which is what I wanted him to do. I think I don't think he should have gotten all the money. No. <laughs> but yes, so he's fleeing as they're about to pull out of the back lot of the snowmobile dealership. The assistant asks, "Do you have you ever driven one of these things?" And he's like, "No, but it can't be that hard." And he pulls out and the back end drifts to the opposite side of the road as soon as he turns onto the main street. And then completely falls over. And I just, in my head, I was like, it's the concept of gravity. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was so, that was such a good visual gag. And I just loved this. I I really liked the character of Gig, too. Like, just how how calm he was while the rest of them are just flaming out. out. Freaking out. Flaming out. Like, Lisa Kudrow never really shows that she doesn't think things are going to work out, but she engages in, like, the most ridiculous, aggressive behavior to, like, compensate for things going wrong. And then you have the John Travolta character who, and John Travolta does a very good job of showing, like you said, in in your best line, like, that this stresses him out, and he really doesn't want to be doing it, which is why I think it got a little weird. There were certain parts where it was like those core things yeah. of his character just vanished for, for certain scenes. Yeah, I think that's where I, the movie lost me too. Mm-hmm. 
where he where he started to get more aggressive and we lost that lack of confidence we lost that stress and then things just became chaotic and over the top and it was like I think if he had stayed as if he had stayed more in that character and not veered into the Lisa Kudrow like insanity or commit entirely like either either stay into the stress or or go full Walter White on it and complete commit entirely like those are the options like somewhere in the middle it doesn't work right yeah and it was like very back and forth did you have a worse line because I feel like I don't know if I have I mean there were a lot of lines that I was just like like, I think just, like, for me, a lot of it was just, like, a worst setup. But did you have a worst line? I did have this one line that's not a bad line. It was just the fact that the line existed made zero sense to me. It seemed almost like somebody added it on later or I mean, something. we just said that there was a writer who came in to do punch-ups. But I so. mean, like, yeah, yeah. And it was, like, a bad punch-up. Yeah. It had to be a punch-up because it came from off-screen made zero sense and just like encapsulated I guess the nonsensical nature and everything that I like hated about the character but basically there's this big altercation at the Ed O'Neill character's house Mm -hmm. and Lisa Kudrow is there to seduce him and steal the ticket yes Dale shows up to get I don't even know how Dale... No, Oh, well, John Travolta told Gig and Lisa Kudrow that he sold the ticket. Mm-hmm. And so Gig sends Dale to the producer's house. Lisa Kudrow's there to steal the ticket back, blah, blah, blah. So Dale shows up, starts beating the crap out of everyone, but the detectives are there for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, they were following Dale. Mm-hmm. So the detectives go in, then there's gunfire, Lisa Kudrow runs out of the house, just in her negligee, I guess, her lingerie, in in the snow, it's finally snowing. Yeah. And Bill Pullman is outside, Dale runs out of the house, attacks Bill Pullman, Bill Pullman draws his gun and shoots him. Mm Mm-hmm. And so there's all this stuff, and, like, Bill Pullman's trying to wrap his head around everything, and then from somewhere off screen, the Lisa Kudrow character just yells, somebody get me a fucking robe. (laughs) And I was like, what the fuck? Like, it just made no sense to me. It was so dumb, so unnecessary, so rude. Right. I just hated it. It made no sense. And so, yeah, and definitely for like, they don't show her. You don't even know where she is. It's been a few minutes. So what? She just ran out into the snow and is just standing there until some man gets her a rope. Like, we didn't need it. I think it could could have been, boom, dead, next scene. So it definitely seems like something somebody thought needed to be added. Just, you know, put the audio in. But it was a button that didn't need a it was a button and that that's didn't the button. Thing. It's a dark comedy. We don't need the same buttons. The, the, Someone the getting shot is the button. Someone getting shot and then the detective being like, oh, shit. That's, that's um, the button. That's the button. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. My worst line was earlier in the movie. I had several contenders for this, but I'm going to go with... When we first see that Lisa Kudrow's character and John Travolta's character are sleeping together, 
She goes, oh boy, that's a treat. With Dick, it's sleeping like a sloth. And I thought that was, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't necessarily a bad line. I just thought it was, we don't, we didn't need to, we didn't need to, we didn't need a comparison of them together. We've already discussed, I don't think they should have been sleeping together. Also, like, I love Lisa Kudrow and I thought it was a terrible line read. Like that to me was almost more, it was just like so blasé that it was like. Right. It's, yeah. And like we've talked about, like Nora Ephron does realistic. Like that's where she shines. It's when people well, say it's not her that, script, but true. But I mean, that's the kind of thing that you can have control over as a director, yeah. and that definitely seems like something that probably wasn't in the original script and was added on because somebody thought it was goofy. Yeah, and it's and that's like, the thing. It was a goofy line that doesn't add anything to so i'm gonna i mean i think there were a lot of contenders but that stuck out to me as like a there were eh, i don't know all and oh god and then like on if i just the scene where she like we talked about that whole hotel room scene when she goes to get the ticket from the cousin was one of the most cringe like even before she lets him die, which is a very dark comedy thing. Like right, that, okay, that, fine. I've seen like, plenty of dark comedies that, that, yes. But the slew of like chaotic derogatory mess that they both awful. launch at each other was one of the most cringeworthy things I think I've ever seen on screen. I was just like, oh my God, both of you shut up. Like right. and then later, every word they said, every sentence they said, got worse and worse and worse the character itself was so weird already right. I just, and the ugh. whole thing about him like being fascinated with masturbating like fine and then it also was weird it they was did, like they set up his whole fascination with masturbating to have the joke of the ticket being hidden in his sex doll his blow-up sex doll yeah like that was, that was the whole joke that the whole thing about masturbation was just to she set up that joke and then when when john travolta finds the inhaler he's like there's enough juice in there mist in this to save 10 masturbators and it was just like yeah, it was such a weird thing to hang the hat on. No, why, really. why are we like, hanging? Why are we hanging our hat on masturbation? Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do need to say. I do need to say because, like, I did want them all to go to jail yes. badly. Yes, but the ending of this movie, and, and I just need to gush for a minute on Maria Bamford. Oh, that that was the only part of this movie that I was like, oh my. God. God, like maybe that was she my just kills line. it. Maybe that just was, kills. Maybe it. that like, was my best line. She, I don't know. I take it back. <laughs> I didn't write it all no, down because I was just laughing so hard. So it. So he get John Travolta gets the ticket. Russ gets the ticket back. God, I don't even remember how. <laughs> it was so chaotic. Oh, he goes. He's in the hospital. They're both in the hospital. Uh-huh. Um, him and Ed O'Neill. He yeah. goes in there, finds it. He takes it, he leaves the hospital, and then he goes. And, like, this whole thing has been going on. They don't know who to get to cash it. And he keeps saying there's nobody he trusts. Mm -hmm. But he has this very congenial, wholesome relationship with the waitress, his waitress, at his private booth, at his Denny's. And it's Maria Bamford just doing quintessential Maria Bamford. And at the end... You see, she's cashing it in for him so he can move to L.A. and be a game show host, which he does. And I just don't think he deserved to be rewarded, but okay. I would have liked it so much better if she just got the money. Like, if it was, like, anonymously given to her and she just got the money. Yeah. 
That would have been too wholesome for this movie, but I would have liked that better. Right. Well, but they already didn't go dark enough, so sure. They have a whole scene where they come up with the numbers that they want to use. And these numbers are, like, meaningful to him and Lisa Kudrow in these very specific, very comedic-type ways. (laughs) And then somebody asks the Maria Bamford character in this press conference where she came up with the numbers that she chose. She's a waitress at a local Denny's right here in Harrisburg. Pennsylvania's newest multimillionaire is Mindy Fawcett. Thank you so much. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I've never won anything before in my life. What, Wendy, what are you going to do with the money? I'm going to put some of it in savings and some of it in checking. And the rest I'll be sharing with a good friend. Oh, and who's that? I'm not telling you. <laughs> away to the big brothers the sunshiny day club asthma do you have asthma no but many people out there do wendy wendy how did you pick the numbers you played how did i what how did you choose the winning numbers oh i get what you're saying i get okay i get it i get it um wow um let's see uh 70 70 is because a cheeseburger deluxe with bacon is 70 cents extra. <laughs> and um, 16, when I was 16, I went to a party. And uh, 9, well, 9, we all know is just lucky. <laughs> that scene was just golden, and I just love her so much. She killed it. That that was a good a good button on the movie. Yes. So there's the button on our movie discussion. Okay, so hanging up, which was this came out in the same year as Left yeah. Numbers. They were the same year in very different movies. This one was I believe based on a novel that Delia Ephraim Delia. Which is mm-hmm. her sister. Then they worked together on the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And, and it was directed by Diane Keaton. Really? Yeah. I did not realize that. But this was so much more your quintessential Nora Ephron movie. Like, in, yeah. In, 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 in the way that it was like slice of lifey, you have, there is a dialogue in it that I was like, that is such a Nora Ephron line. Absolutely. Like, there is a line that Meg Ryan says when she's arguing with her husband, or her husband's about to, like, go away to he's a journalist i think he's going somewhere and she says something like south dakota i feel like one of those actresses in the 50s don't go and the plane crashes and she doesn't know it because she's so busy preparing that reunion supper or playing with their toddlers and i did not do that line read justice at all but meg ryan is such a nora efren line of like Uh storytelling a scenario setting up a imagined scenario and meg ryan does it in such a meg ryan way that you see her do in particularly i think you've got mail and when harry met sally like like that line Mm -hmm. was like very i was like yeah that rings true for a Nora Ephron line Uh, because i think it's the specificity of detail in it that is what hits and i think that to me is what was lacking a lot in lucky numbers is that just like the detail specificity is not there. Whereas Nora uh-huh. Ephron, I mean, granted, also yeah. not her script. 
but right. she is so detailed. It's that slice of life observational detail. And I think that's why I relate to her as a writer and like probably when one of the writers who most inspires me as a writer, because I do that like observational slice of life mm-hmm. detail yeah. and that's what I really enjoy. And so this movie had that, it was much more, yes, there was a plot, but it wasn't that much of a plot. You, it's, it, the setup of this movie um, is that Meg Ryan is, is she the middle sister? Middle. Okay. Uh-huh. So she and her sisters, Diane Keaton and Lisa Kudrow are all have busy lives and their dad is dying. Basically mm-hmm. is the setup. Do you want to add anything to that? No, I think that's it. Well, and that she's really the only one that's dealing with it. Yeah. She's the caretaker. She has to take him to the facility that he's going to be staying in. She's the one fielding his phone calls and medical phone calls. And she's trying. And really for the first, for a large chunk of the movie, she's trying to, to call them we we have a lot of things going on in phone calls that's the theme of the movie hanging up she'll call them and she'll tell them this is what's going on and they downplay it or they dismiss it because they all do have this really strained relationship with both their parents (laughs) and then they change the subject on her and that's kind of how we get to know them as characters and she's the one with kids. She's the one who's still there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Lisa Kudrow's character is still in Los... I'm, I think they're in Los Angeles or somewhere in California. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. And so she's a party planner trying to start a party plan- event planning business. Um, Lisa Kudrow is kind of all over the place, but right now a soap actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Diane Keaton is like... Everything. She's like a. Uh, she's supposed to be sort of like an Oprah. Yeah, almost. Like well, doesn't have a show, home, but she and she's it has like a magazine a, called uh, right. Georgia, which is her name. George, it's her name, and yeah. all these women are just like she's, in, like almost like an Ariana yeah, like Huffington, like a business. Yeah, like a business icon. Yes, but like also like female empowerment. So like mm-hmm. almost like an Ariana Huffington, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so it's, yeah, it's interesting, the setup of it. I, like, I bought it. Like, I, I, I bought yeah. I bought the setup. Yeah. And Walter Matthau plays a dad who I thought was uh-huh. wonderful. He really did a good job. And I don't know how much of it is because at the time he was very, very old. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know really much about his health in his later years but those were his later years and he very much tapped into that really i mean i i have experience with um not necessarily caring for because i was like a a preteen at the time but uh, we did have my grandfather with alzheimer's uh come stay with us for i want to say like eight months um when i i think i was a freshman in high school and uh, before, well, while uh, my dad looked at places uh, back in Texas for long-term care. And while we were getting, like, my dad's a doctor, and so my dad wanted to make sure that we did all the appropriate tests to get the correct diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. But it was very clear that there was at least high-level dementia, if not full-blown Alzheimer's at right. the time. 
and there is this sort of it's it's just a multitude of things that come together and I thought he did a really great job of capturing that yeah. because it's this wistfulness and but also anger. sadness and the anger and, and the childlikeness too. And there is this very like endearing zany side that comes out of a lot of people that have Alzheimer's, especially like there's a scene, there are a couple scenes, but there was one scene in particular that really stood out to me. And he's telling Meg Ryan that he used to be a surgeon or that he was doing rounds and he had to do a surgery and she's she's looking at him obviously like and we know that's not true right. he was a prop master right mm-hmm. something he has or, a fascination with done, john wayne he's done a bunch of john wayne movies and john wayne gave him a bullet and that is a very big thing like there's a, a like his prized possession is this bullet that john wayne gave him even though john wayne was a republican um yeah and can't hold that against him. Can't hold that against him. <laughs> but like, I, yeah. Um, so he was either like he was writing, maybe he was a writing team with the wife, or or they were somehow involved in like the physical, like the shooting of these movies. But it, he did have some sort of partnership with the wife. They did things right. together, and they were big institutions in this in this Hollywood circuit right. in the fifties. And so we know he's a Hollywood guy. Right. He's a movie guy. And he's telling her he had to do like an appendectomy or something like that. When he worked at a hospital, he's telling somebody else's story. Mm-hmm. And, but they do it with this like very believable personal, yeah. you know, and, and my grandfather told me that he robbed a bank, <laughs> did not rob a bank. He was a fine upstanding Catholic man who, you know, wore a suit and worked every day of his life, basically. And never robbed a bank, but he knew a guy uh, when he lived in St. Louis who had robbed a bank and told him his story. And yeah. so then he thought that he that, that that was a memory to him, and he put himself in it, and he was telling this story like he did it with his friend, Bootsy. <laughs> such a you know such a 1950s st louis crime criminal name bootsy but yeah like and so that really and the way that he he delivered it in this in exactly that manner like just how they do that it was very very believable yeah and like the whole thing about him too like the mom left she never really wanted to be a mom. She never really wanted mm-hmm. kids. So she left. And I think she left when they were adults. I can't yeah, get a read on like, that. But she, so their parents are divorced, but he, in order to protect himself, he's telling people that the mom died. And he does, does that before he had dementia sits in, sets in too. And this is, a, this was a great line. She's dead or whatever. And they say, mom's not dead. She's, she's in Big Bear. It's the same thing. <laughs> Yeah. I personally enjoy well, Big Bear, but I can understand and, how somebody and throughout the movie he keeps who lives asking, in LA. Right, I enjoy. I haven't been, but I want to go to Big Bear. I'm sure I, I would like enjoy it. Um, but he also like, keeps asking for the mom when he's in the hospital because mm-hmm. the movie takes place both in the present day when he's in the hospital. That's where we see yes. the movie start. Is she? She's taking him to the hospital to get tests run, and 
then in a series of flashbacks. And in the present mm-hmm. day, when he's in the hospital, he keeps asking for his wife, who's mm-hmm. not going to come because they have it. They're estranged. Right. They're all estranged from her. The yes. mom. There was a part like basically the mom in a flashback tells Meg Ryan, like, I'm done. I'm out. You're, I you're, didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I I didn't want this. It. And which is devastating, like absolutely oh, devastating. Terrible. But then the, oh, the, and this is like, this broke me at the end or towards the end when Meg Ryan, she spends so much mo- of the movie trying to do everything for people, please everybody. And mm-hmm. she's so harried that she like gets into a car accident and yeah. there's that whole line, which I'll get more into that later. But after she talks with this guy, the mother, the mother, the mother mm-hmm. of the, the doctor that she had the car accident with was just like gives her this like pep talk, basically. It's just a mother to listen, basically. She just needs somebody to listen to her because she's mothering everybody else. And so she is talking to this, this mother. And then the mom was like, just set a boundary. After the mom basically tells her to set a boundary, she then goes back to her dad, who's like asking for the wife again, his wife again. And Meg Ryan basically says, like tells him the story that the, the mom died, like tells, yeah. tells the, her dad a story about the mom is dead, which is just you, the only way he's going to stop asking if she is, if he thinks yeah, she's died. She wants to give him an acceptable closure. closure. She does, but not in the way that she intends right. to. Because then he says, she's dead. I won. I win. And that yep. broke me. Evil. Awful. Broke Ugh. me. Well, and it's just devastating because, like, yeah. it's not even – I don't even necessarily see it as evil, but you see the pain. Not evil. Or like, right. But, like, so you see that yes, she – how much it. pain she caused him by leaving. And, I mean, and like, he, he was held on to it and, and, so And, like, he clearly long. had his issues, too. We see a scene very yes. clearly where he has – is battling – alcoholism oh yes um and that scene broke me as well um and where meg ryan's character's husband he like like walter Matthau shows up at this birthday party for the son and just starts yelling oh it was so devastating he just starts yelling and is abusive verbally abusive to everybody Mm -hmm. and especially meg ryan you can see the brokenness and the trauma that this family has yeah. gone through. And they're all dealing with it in different ways. Like Meg Ryan's character is clearly do, trying to people please everybody. Lisa Kudrow's is like off on whims, like with hot guys in the middle of nature in Montana, Georgia. Diane Keaton's character is throws herself Work into hard. her work and avoids yeah. her family. Like they all deal with this trauma in different ways. And honestly, in this I think that this movie is about 20 years ahead of its time. We're seeing a lot of movies that are tackling the the ideas of familial bonds and generational trauma. Well, when did Family and, Stone come out? Uh, 20, uh, like 2006? 2005, yeah. A lot of movies that are, are, are really tackling this idea and, and how people handle it. And... And yeah, showing that they each handle it very differently and those choices and what they do to you. Mm -hmm. And really, the movie never tries to make a statement as to who's right. right. Yeah. Um, Just that this is what they did, you know? And, And so I do think that because, yeah, that's exactly how it goes. And 
there are so many ways that you can handle it Mm -hmm. and, and not, you know, not having a relationship with that, with either parent is completely valid. Right. You know, it is completely valid if your parent treats you in that way traumatizes you traumatizes your child your family that you've created with your spouse you know you don't have to do it but she chooses to right so and and the others don't right the others choose to do their their way i think where my complaint with the movie is and this is probably similar to my complaint with heartburn as well is that you have so much of the movie is exposition like right. so much of the movie is the setup of the flashbacks getting to it's, it's getting to, it's how we got to where we are. And so really only in the last 20 minutes when they're at the luncheon, is there any, I mean, there's conflict all when they throughout. go to the hospital yeah, but like, and they have, they, and then they have the sister argument, they have it out. Right. And I think, yeah. And maybe we didn't need more than that. Maybe I, Maybe, and I don't know how you would have done it differently thinking about it, but there was, there was something about like when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is really interesting now. Like this, yeah. I, I felt like the pacing, and I think that could be just a thing too, again, the slice of lifeness of it. Like the pacing felt a little off to me. Yeah. And maybe because I wanted more Diane Keaton, but maybe that also worked for maybe. the character because, because the character is absent. Because she's not accessible. Right. And so that worked. And I also didn't realize Diane Keaton directed it. Like that also tracks. I just, there was something about like when they all came together at the luncheon. So Meg Ryan's character is putting together this big lunch and Eve, Eve is Meg Ryan's character, this big lunch and at returning mm-hmm. champion once again, the Richard Nixon <laughs> library. <laughs> Richard Nixon, the Nixon library, <laughs> which she does not want to do. No. She's very like, very skeptical of well, this idea of like these a women week before they're like let's change it to this and they change it and yeah, then like to the nixon library it's the it's like their county i don't know remember what county she's in but it's like the county women in business yeah some some one of the la counties or southern california counties or whatever and she and it's their women in business group and they want to change it yeah about a week or two weeks before and it's like 500 and so women big, huge Nixon theme and I just and I I thought it was hilarious Nixon and one of the quintessential Nora dark and twisty humor that I loved even though it was like the height of the conflict of this movie they're actually at the the party and Georgia has given a speech where she basically steals the Meg Ryan character's emotional yes. story yes. for her speech. Like, my dad has been dying, and it's been really hard for me. And yes. Meg Ryan, you see Meg Ryan being like, you bitch! Like, that's no! Yeah. And they've already had discussions about how she stole this recipe, recipe that made her famous yeah. in the New, New, York York, Times. New York Times or something like that. Um, a stuffing recipe with apricots, which I would love to I know, try. I really want to know what I'm that recipe not is. Usually, so. a stuffing person, but when she was like raisins and apricot, apricots, I was like, okay, okay, I'll eat, I'll eat stuffing one time. Just I like apricots. Oh, I try love it. stuffing. Um, Cornbread stuffing. <laughs> so, so there's this running motif in the movie with the phones again. That every single time the phone rings, 
75% of the time that the phone rings and it's not her cell phone in her hand, she says, he's dead. Mm -hmm. She just like, that's her reaction. And she says it out loud. She's like, oh God, he's dead. Um, So she's expecting bad news anytime there's a phone call for her. So the, this liaison, this guy who works for the Nixon library, who's kind of helping her out while she's planning the party comes up and is like, there's a phone call for you. (laughs) And she walks into the other room. He tells her which room to go in. She walks into this room. She picks up the phone and it's the Heidelman, Heidelman, (laughs) the smoking gun call. It just starts playing. That was great. It just starts playing the smoking gun call. And she's like, what, what, what's going on? And he's like, oh no, this one. And there's, then there's actually like a usable phone on the wall and she picks it up. He is dying. He's He's not dead yet, but yes, it is the call that she's been dreading. And I just thought that was like, I was laughing at the smoking gun, but, but knowing, okay, we're going to flip this. And then this is actually going to be him. Right. And it comes right after they have this blowout fight. Like, oh yeah, they're all and they finished the blowout at the hospital, right. but they've started it um, the, because because yeah. Meg Ryan confronts Diane Keaton about stealing her life about and stealing. Then Lisa Kudrow gets yeah. upset that they always fight and never include her, and exactly so she feels left out. And it's like it was a really well done scene of like very yeah. familial fighting. Like it, it was a well done yeah. scene that plays very well. Yes, and like all of their like they're basically airing everything out and then they go to the hospital Uh where um there's the other running thing too of she's been thinking about an actress like in in this 1950s actress that she described that i talked about earlier in that line and she can't pull the name of who she's thinking about Uh and i don't remember the actress that the dad says but he says a name of he allison jane or something like that they're talking about this and in the hospital, Walter Matthau's in a coma. He says, Alice and Jane. And then they get so excited because he talked and then he flatlines. And mm-hmm. the grief just Is like... Alice and Jane or Jane Allison? I think it's like Alice and Jane or something like that. Jane Allison. Jane Allison. Um, I think. But he flatlines. Yes. And then you just see the grief wash over them. And yeah. like they all had strained relationships with their father. But still, like it's the loss of a parent, no matter how... Yeah. It's still like... Yeah. A loss, and I think you can see in George's character, like she wasn't there, like she mm-hmm. hadn't been there. Meg Ryan, it's almost like a weight lift for her, but also yeah. a grief because that would been such a role for her. Well, yes, but then you also see right in that instant that her role shifts, mm-hmm. that she realizes I'm done with this, I did this, mm-hmm. but now they come to her. Yeah. She doesn't bring them in. They come they to her. They both come well, to her. They both bury yes. their heads in her shoulders. And you can see in her face that she realizes, okay, now my job is this. Mm-hmm. Now I need to comfort them through, like, the emotions that I basically already worked through because I was here for right. it. Well, and you know? the, the other, one of the other things that I thought was so lovely um, and devastating is, like, there's a time where Meg Ryan says something about how their mom basically gave dad to Meg Ryan. It's like, he's your problem. You can do it. And Diane Keaton was like, well, I, part of the reason I wasn't here was because like, like you had it, you had it under control. He didn't need me. I didn't think I needed to be here because you were here. here. And Meg Ryan says to Diane Keaton, I needed you. I needed you. Mm -hmm. And like that just, it's, 
heartbreaking. And I think that is really important. And that is one of the, I think, one of the important takeaways of this movie. We're not necessarily judging. We're not necessarily saying right or wrong choices. But if there is that person, that sibling, who is the caregiver, who is who has made the choice to take on that role and to be that person, no matter what you feel about the parent. So maybe you've removed yourself from the interactions with the parent and that's your choice. That caregiver sibling, if you have a relationship with them, they still, they need you. They don't need you necessarily to help in the caregiver role that they chose that might not be what they're asking for, but what they are probably asking for is just the emotional support for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably a hard thing to verbalize without the lines getting blurred. Again, it's important to talk about boundaries and, you know, and so, yeah, that was really, you know, it is very isolating, even mm-hmm. in situations where the relationships with the parents are fine right. and you choose to be the caregiver. It's it's isolating to be the one out of the siblings that's making those choices willingly, but you're making yeah. a sacrifice. Yeah. And to know that the other siblings to feel like the other siblings don't understand the sacrifices that you're making mm-hmm. is very isolating. Then on top of that, you add estrangement or, you know, just complete cut ties like there is in this movie, you know, with with real, I mean, the movie does a very good job of showing they all do have completely valid reason to not be involved with either of these parents. Right have dealt them, you know, both parents have dealt them quite a bit of trauma. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's even more isolating than when when really they don't want to be involved at all. But neither of them say that. And I think that's no. kind of where, well, you know. And Lisa Kudrow's character they does just show up. Her, she, yes, she, she does, does show up. Like she's when she's there filming, she'll go on her lunch break to the hospital and they like <laughs> they watch her show with their dad. And I thought those scenes were actually like really lovely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are some very funny lines in this movie too. Like they're talking about name that like talking about the people on her show and she says name one actor on tv playing a heterosexual that isn't gay and walter <laughs> goes walter cronkite and i thought that was great yeah it was like such a good it's button like, of a walter cronkite yeah. and like they're talking to each other like meg ryan and lisa kudrow and are yeah. having this like name one they don't even know he's paying attention playing a heterosexual who isn't gay and he just goes walter cronkite and it's just so good because walter cronkite is not an actor not an actor <laughs> Not I mean, I guess you could say he's playing a character, but I don't think he is. No. So. <laughs> and it's just, like, so interesting to be, like, that it, it, there were moments of, like, lightness, too. And I thought that was well, really well captured, too, is even in yeah. this trauma and the tragedy and, like, the sadness, there are moments of light and comedy. Mm-hmm. And, like, he escapes from the hospital at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and ends up back at their old house that they don't live at anymore, which is right. also devastating. 
like there are a lot of moments I really enjoyed in this movie. One of them. So one of the things like I alluded to it earlier, um, she's so Meg Ryan is so frazzled at the beginning that she hits a car leaving the hospital. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh my God, I've gotten into so many accidents. We can't go through my insurance, which I was like, hey, I know these things now because I work for (laughs) a car insurance app. And Mm -hmm. so she's like, "Um, here, we'll just do it. And she's all worried that he's going to, the doctor is going to like get police involved and she's going to be in trouble. Oh, because it's a nice car. It's like a Mercedes. It is Mercedes. And the grill like completely comes off. Completely comes off. (laughs) And he's like, here's my phone to call my mother. Like, and I, I I was confused at first. I was like, why are we getting his mother involved? Which like, I still don't quite know. It does pay off a bit later. I guess maybe that he just doesn't have time. Or maybe it's the mother's car. Um, But like, that was never quite explained, but also like, it does pay off a bit later. The introduction of the doctor character was a little weird to me because like, it felt like there should be some romantic thing there, but she's married. And then she was married. Yeah. And I I think it was just to show like he was a nice person who wanted to help her. Um, And then he introduces her to his mother who ends up Mm -hmm. being somebody who just listens to her. And they have Mm -hmm. this really beautiful scene where she kind of explains her whole uh-huh. ish, her whole life to this mother. And the mom just uh-huh. like listens and it was lovely. Yes. And it kind of sets up the back half of the movie, but it comes so late in the movie yeah. too. Did you say, so. you mentioned when I was talking about it before, did you say your best line was in this scene? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's... Okay, because my worst line is in this scene. So you go oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I think that it just really sums up plays into the theme of the movie perfectly i think it really sums up life just that there's a valid way to handle anything when you get to this point i mean she is just i this is like her her low point everything's coming together she has no direction she's feeling completely lost she's questioning everything she's being asked to do this thing get in touch with her mother that she Mm -hmm. absolutely does not want to do and can't do like for her own sake she cannot do it and the and this the doctor's mother says sometimes it is necessary to disconnect Mm mm-hmm and I just thought thematically, philosophically, uh, you know, psychologically, therapeutically, we can um, Richard Henry Lee this all day. I just thought it was a really, really just did you nice. Say we could Richard succinct. Henry Lee this all day. I oh did. my god, that was an Easter egg <laughs> deep cut there. Woo. You know, I just loved it. And then she goes around, and there's kind of this cute scene of her like unplugging all of her landlines and stuff. Right. Remember those? <laughs> she has a lot of them too. It's a, it's a whole like minute montage. Disconnecting <laughs> means something very different in 2022 yes. than it did in 2000. I, I think that's what is necessary for her to remove yeah. herself enough to be like, okay, I'm just going to lie to my dad. Right. And and I'm not going to try to to push all this on my sisters for right. a little while and just take some space. And then, and then I do think that that plays into like how she is able to then handle and process when he dies mm-hmm. a little bit better than them because she's taken her experience over the last couple weeks and given herself time to like process it 
and feel it and just takes, you know, space from it. And then when she needs to finally deal with it, she's ready and she's able to make the decisions that work for her. Yeah. I loved that. I thought that scene was really beautiful and I'll go back to worst line in a minute, but I thought that whole scene was just like really beautiful. My best line comes at the end when we're kind of, we kind of talked about this already. Um, how Meg Ryan just kind of, it became a part of who she was, was caring for her dad and being that Uh caretaker. And she says, um, there are things that happen to you that you just don't choose and they become a part of your identity. Mom left dad to me, or I don't know. It felt like she did. And Mm -hmm. that first part of that line in particular really sets up kind of, or sums up rather how her character, how she has perceived her role and her character. Mm -hmm. She didn't choose any of this, but it has become a part of who she is. She Mm -hmm. is the caretaker. That is, that was her role. Whereas you have Georgia in this like flashy, whatever you have Lisa Kudrow's character being kind of flighty, but like she is the like she didn't choose it, but it became a part of her identity. So that was my best line. So I mentioned my worst line was in that scene that you mentioned, or in the scene with the mom. And I think it just I don't think it fit in that scene. She's t- so the mom is explaining that like that her dad clearly is wrestling with rage and things and like issues, and the mom relates it to being in Iran and. Um, cause the mom's Iranian and, They're Iranian, yeah. um, and the Ayatollah who, and I, oh, so yeah, she says, weird. there was a line that she says, your father has a bad case of uproar, but not so bad mm-hmm. as Ayatollah. And I, that was my worst line because I just don't think any, it wasn't a necessary comparison. Yeah. Like the, your dad has a bad case of uproar would have been enough. Like that yeah, would have been a great way of putting it. And uh-huh. yeah, and I love that. And then it ruined it by, but not as bad as Ayatollah. So, Trying to make some sort of weird geopolitical joke commentary. out of it. Like, and I think like, yeah, I mean, weird. this was in 2000. So it, I don't know. It just like, didn't, yeah. it didn't no, sit I didn't for like me. It I didn't like it. And I felt like it really took me out of that scene that I thought yes, was otherwise exactly. very lovely. And, and one thing I keep meaning to mention, and this, plays into this concept that I've been trying to find a spot to put it in, but it plays, it works against it. But you're talking about, like, we've been talking about Nora Ephron and what she does best. And we really have these two, you know, if we're going to juxtapose these movies again, like one of Adam Resnick's big complaints was that she made a podunk, crappy, dirty sort of scummy looking town in real life look Mm -hmm. too good too good for real life too good for a dark comedy made it look good right and and so that she kind of went the other way what i really like about what she did in this movie and what she did in when harry met sally and what she does in a lot of her movies is there's like you said the detail not just in these specific lines, not just in these specific anecdotes or one line anecdotes or one liners, this movie has so much grounding. It is so grounded. We have so many running topical themes. We have so much density to just the couple things that are going on in this. But yeah, just the depth. I mean, so the yeah. so the actual time line on the present is maybe three weeks 
two to three weeks. Yeah. And there's just so much depth. We talk about the Nixon, the party, mm-hmm. the dog, the car, all of these very real life things. Yeah. Real, tangible, thematic. Jobs. And just, and they keep coming back and they keep coming back and they ground us. And I think that's really important. It's something she does really well. And what makes this work, maybe even again, if we go all the way back to Heartburn, Heartburn didn't have as much of that. No. It had bits of it, but I don't think it quite had enough. Right. It left me felt, it left me feeling very like I was floating, like we talked about that, like I'm just floating through this movie. I did not feel like I was just floating through this movie. No. I felt like I was going through this movie with the Meg Ryan character. Yes. Because we just kept getting like pulled and pulled and pulled back into her life and all of these details about yeah. her present life and these and her flashbacks of what happened to her with these parental and sibling relationships. And that was done extremely well yeah. in this movie and not really done at all in Lucky Numbers. <laughs> oh, God. Lucky Numbers you know? had no grounding in reality at all. No. And this had, no. this was like almost too real. Like, yes, it was absolutely. very real. No, I, I, and I so enjoyed it. That's where I think, <laughs> I think they were trying to do that. They were trying, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't necessary because it was like, well, that, that those characters, the doctor and the mother, didn't necessarily have to be from Iran just so we no. could make uh, you know, a little tiny throwaway joke about the yeah. Ayatollah. And I don't We didn't need yeah. it. So was, I, I agree with you. What was your worst line? I don't know. It was this movie. <laughs> Had a lot of lines that were necessary to be said that I wish were not said. So it doesn't make you know, it worse lines so because it. I can't. Yeah, in the movie. but I I hated watching it happen. But I had to watch it happen. I mean, it was yeah. part of it. I really didn't like, and not even because of like an off color reason. But there's a whole thing about. I first of all loved when he calls her and asks for Chinese food, and on the phone he's yelling shrimp, shrimp. <laughs> I loved it. We have our one word exclamation. He's just yelling shrimp into the phone. So then she brings him shrimp and he says, I don't eat shrimp. But so she brings him and then they have the shrimp the next day. But she also brings the Mugu guy pan. And he starts to tell this story that he knew a woman whose last name was Mugu guy pan. And and it's not off color. It's not like it's derogatory or anything. I just thought it was dumb and had no place like there yeah. was room for a better anecdote. I could see it because it shows the level of his dementia but like also it's just kind of like eh. it just didn't land like no, I, I thought agree. I thought it felt like they were trying to be funny with it and I think there was funnier there were there's there, funnier there were material other, yeah it was it was it was a joke. I mean, I think it worked for his character. I think it shows the level of his dementia. I don't think like that character would be the most like culturally well, that's sensitive when he tells human the story. being. Because then he says, "I can't eat shrimp," and that's when he tells the story that he did surgery, which is so we already have this actually sort of funny 
story that he's that shows that he's not all there but it's a cute anecdote and he's saying i can't now i can't even remember the procedure that he said he had to do but when they took out somebody's something (laughs) a kidney or something like that it looked like a shrimp and ever since then he can't eat shrimp right that's fine we're good with that that's actually all we needed. Yeah, we don't. We, but then he goes on to say that he knew a woman whose last name was Mugu Gaipan, and then she has like this normal first name. And I just thought, okay, after this shrimp anecdote that has so much depth to it, but is pretty funny. Yeah. And just does so much for the story and the characters to tack this on, and then it's not funny. I just no. didn't like it. So that's my worst line. I like. I wouldn't necessarily go as far to say I enjoyed this movie because I think it was a hard topic. Like I am hard watch. I immediately called my parents after it and was like, I love you. Um, (laughs) So it was, it was like a very, it was a difficult movie to watch, Uh but I thought it was well done. Like, I don't think it was, I don't think it was a bad movie. I think there were some pacing issues, but as far as the script goes, as far as the performances go, I thought it was worth watching. Mm-hmm. It's free on YouTube, so it was easy to watch. Didn't have to go poking around like I've had to right. for some other movies. Didn't waste $4 like I did renting Lucky Numbers and Mixed or Nuts. House of Gucci. <laughs> or House of Gucci. It very much rang of a Nora Ephron movie for me. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah I think definitely not our typical Nora Ephron subject matter definitely not our typical Nora Efron it wasn't in New York it wasn't a lot of New York which a lot of her movies are um yeah definitely way more emotional heft than I remember I think I saw this movie right when it came out on video I don't think I've ever seen it um and so I I had a basic idea but watching it as an adult way more emotional heft absolutely Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I would recommend it. I think of the, of the movies we've watched so far, which there are six of them, I would say I would put this in my upper half. I would put lucky numbers in my bottom half. Yeah. I would not mm-hmm. recommend that. Like I thought like, you know, I'm a whole fine week. Um, next on our Nora Ephron, oh, this God. is our finale Ooh. of the Nora Ephron series. And we have two I'm, heavy hitters. Two heavy hitters. I'm really excited. We I'm have very excited. the Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, and Nora Ephron tour de forces of Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail, one of which is one of my favorite movies of all time. The other of which oh, yeah. I enjoy but see as problems. I have not watched either of them probably. I don't think I've watched Sleepless in Seattle in probably 10 years, and I think I haven't watched You've Got Mail in about six or seven years and i really should watch you've got mail more often because i love it it's a great great. it's a great movie anyway we will be back with those movies next time in the meantime you can follow us on best line worst line or at best line worst line on instagram Um, we are setting up ways for you to vote for your choices for our best lines and worst lines so be sure to check out our stories for that bracket you can yeah all the voting will be in the stories so you'll go and you'll vote between our best lines for each movie. So there will be like um, Lucky Numbers, Melanie's line, Jessica's line. You'll vote for best line. Then you'll vote Melanie's line, Jessica's line, worst line. So there's yeah. like four votes we need from you for each movie. 
or for each episode, for each yes. episode, I believe, because it'll be best line, worst line from one movie, best line, worst line. Gosh, it's yeah. a lot of voting. You have to vote. It's just so much <laughs> voting. It's vote overload. Go vote. Go vote. And register to vote in the midterm elections. Go vote. Uh, listen to uh, Best Line, Worst Line, wherever you get your podcasts, which include Apple, Stitcher, Google, I remembered, Spotify, and please rate and review us. And you can visit our website at slineworstline.com. We'll see you next time.